Hi, I'm London. And I'm Chris. And you're listening to, to the, the core. core. All right, episode six. Here we are. How's your week been? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm going crazy during this quarantine, but I'm hanging in there, you know. You go back to the office in like a week, right? Yeah. Well, at least you're almost out. I'm like trapped in my home for the foreseeable future. That does suck, but I mean, at least we have this going. That's a a social outlet of yours now. Yeah, this podcast is the main way I keep track of time. I actually hung out with somebody last weekend. That was crazy. Haven't seen another person that wasn't my roommate in like four months. So what a time. But yeah, we've got... Two Fridays worth of drops to cover, and there's been some pretty good stuff, actually, so I'm excited to to get into the new releases. Yeah, no, I agree. I've been very stoked on the new releases that we've had lately. A lot of good material. To jump into it, we do have a new track from Bring Me the Horizon called Parasite Eve. My thoughts were, you know, more of the radio rock. I mean, radio friendly, I guess, would be a nicer way to say it. Like, I don't know. I didn't really like it that much. As far as this track goes, so the first time that I listened through, my reaction afterwards was, what the fuck did I just listen to? (laughs) The intro definitely threw me off. The middle of it is catchy enough. I understand why it's appealing. So all throughout quarantine, they had been teasing all this footage of them going hard again and like always screaming and all of this and they really sort of hyped that and I guess they could just be trolling like they like to do that especially with the people that are upset that they're not you know hardcore metalcore anymore whatever but I don't know it it felt like they were being genuine that they were trying to go a little bit harder and sort of tap into the aggression of the moment and then this came out and I don't feel like it satisfied that. So that was a bit disappointing. I feel like it's a little more in that's the spirit realm versus Amo realm, but like, I don't know. It did grow on me a little bit as time went on. Like as I've listened through the week, it has gotten stuck in my head multiple times. Again, it's catchy and it's not a bad song, but it's certainly not like my new fave. The chorus, it's very, um, it's almost like an anthem. Like they know how to make catchy music. That's a very catchy chorus. And I do have it stuck in my head occasionally too even though I don't really like the song all that much. Like, it's still going to stick with me. I think if I'm looking at it as a whole, you know, I <laughs> I felt the same as you. The intro was very, I don't know. I was like, wait, every time it happened too, like, I was like, wait, is this is this another song? What's happening here? <laughs> you know, like, it would come on shuffle on the playlist. And I was like, okay, where am I again? Where, <laughs> What wrong turn did I make? But I think when it picks up the most for me is like during the chorus, but yeah, I mean, listening through it this week, it, it it definitely sticks with me. And I I want to commend them for that. Like, they make a catchy, catchy-ass song. They really fucking do. But I don't know, instrumentally-wise, like, it's, it's, not, it's not really for me. Yeah, it's not really, like, satisfying or... No. People were really, like, in love with this and often commend Bring Me the Horizon for, like, breaking the mold repeatedly. I don't actually feel like this breaks the mold. I guess if, like, all you listen to is metalcore, hardcore, and then Bring Me the Horizons, like, your only step outside of it, then I get why people say that about Amo and this, but, like, if you don't, then I, I don't know, I don't see it. Yeah, no, I, I don't see it either. Next up, we have a new song from Upon a Burning Body, Chains of Agony, and I think the the main draw or appeal of this song to me is the guitars. Like, I, I instantly fell in love with the tones of the guitars, and... Everything else, like, on top of that, you know, just maybe like the song even more. I liked the instrumentals in this. I think the biggest appeal to me is I kept getting caught in the, 
I guess, kind of breakdown that they do, where they scream, I will give you the life I promised you. That always caught me repeatedly. So, I guess full disclosure, so Upon a Burning Body is a band I've listened to for a while, being from Texas. They were the first band I was on the barricade for, that was wild. And it was back in the days when they would still dress up in, like, suits and suspenders and it's like middle of summer texas heat at mayhem festival and like all of that and before the singer pretended to be kidnapped to hype up an album release and that's a whole different fucking topic and story but the uabb that like i kind of grew up with was more like party metal and so it's so weird hearing them put out stuff like this that feels like a more normal track i guess <laughs> if that makes sense like it's always a little strange but i actually do like this quite a bit i haven't been as into their stuff recently so i felt good about this one and i'm interested to see what they're trying to put out next i don't know if this is hyping up to an album or a one-off thing but i'm interested I've always seen them as party metal as well, but this definitely is something more serious, and I've, I've never been interested in them, but I'm kind of getting a little bit interested with this as maybe a new first taste. Not even a new first taste, but just seeing something new from them, hearing something different. Yeah. It also doesn't really sound like what's coming out right now. It sounds... I guess to me it has a lot of vibes of, like, some of the 2000s music. Did you pick that up? Oh, yeah. This definitely does sound like old school metalcore. And I mean, it fits in with what we're going to review later. But I do I do have these uh, reminiscent vibes of the yesteryears of metalcore. Yeah, it sounds like a little revamped. Like it still sounds, you know, it's not shocking this came out in 2020. But I thought it was interesting that it's bringing some of those vibes back. Oh, I feel them. Feel them heavy. <laughs> Next up, we got Mortality Rate featuring Judiciary with Veins. I wasn't really familiar with either of these bands. I had never heard of Mortality Rate. I had heard of Judiciary before, and I actually really like this track. Like, I feel like it's just melodic enough that it, like, gets me into it, but also it's still, I would say, pretty much straight hardcore. I don't know if you'd say that that's where it falls in, but yeah, I really liked this track a lot. No, I would agree with you. I think that hardcore would be the best way to describe this probably the best way to like, I don't know, put it into a genre. <laughs> like it, that's hard to do with core, but I don't know. That's, that's what I feel like it is. I didn't really hear that much of melodic hardcore in the guitars though. So I don't know. I just liked how hard it was really. I guess I should clarify that like when I talk about melodic versus chaotic, just in general, I'm not usually talking about the sound of like the guitars. So I know a lot of people use that for like melodic guitar style is obviously a style of guitar playing. But usually what I'm referring to is actually like the melody when it comes to vocals and the timing of the overall song or the timing of the instrument or the timing of whatever. So I feel like I should clarify that I use the term a little differently, I guess. No, I could definitely vibe with that, though. So with that distinction, then yes, it's hardcore. But at the same time, the melodic aspects of the vocals and the timing with that, like, no, I feel that 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 was definitely a big part of why I liked it as well. But yeah, I've never heard of Mortality Rate, but this definitely made me want to check out more by them. Oh, yeah, for sure. Also, what a hardcore name like that. You know, every time I see like a really metal name, I'm like, oh, yeah, we found another metal name to actually use. And like, fuck, that's hard. <laughs> like, mortality rate. <laughs> the name's what sells you. <laughs> I don't know. I, I just get I get a kick out of like really like metal sounding metal band names. Like that's I, I just love that. Hey, fair enough. Keeping up with the uh, just straightforward hardcore. We've got some more Year of the Knife. 
And they promoted that they put out this new track called Manipulation Artist. And then when I went to listen to it, there was just this other song that they released called Sick Statistic, presumably before Manipulation Artist, but there was no promo. Like, I went through their social media and they didn't say shit about it. So I was like, I feel like this isn't an accident because it's still up, but also when did you drop this? (laughs) So I just figured we'll just talk about both. I think I saw somewhere that Manipulation Artist is about an abusive relationship and then listening to the lyrics, I can definitely see that. I definitely liked it more than the song we listened to last time. And then I think Six Statistic is probably my favorite song I've ever heard by Year of the Knife. So maybe I'm like slowly adjusting and inching towards liking them. Because again, they are a band I really want to like. I just, they're more on that when it comes to timing the chaotic side that doesn't appeal to me as much. But maybe I'm, maybe I'm getting there and, and getting more into it. So I don't know what took me so long to get into this band. Because honestly, like everything that we've heard so far, everything that we've listened to, it really falls in line with what I really like about metal, like metalcore in general. Like, I don't know, like what you said earlier, this is a very straightforward, hard song. Like both of these tracks are very, I don't know, they just, they get the people going. They're in your face. And it's like, it's like zero to 60 for both those tracks. Like once it starts up, that energy is there for the whole song. And I, I love it. They are really good at consistently maintaining an energy. Like, I really like the way you put that. That's true. Next couple songs. I wasn't really familiar with either of these bands. I think they're smaller, so just figured why not shout them out because I heard both of these tracks this week. Uh, So the first one's In Fear, and they had the song Serpent. And I felt like this one also brought back some of the, like, 2000s vibes as well, like what we were talking about with Upon a Burning Body. But it still goes hard. Like, it still sounds modern enough. Um, And I liked it. It's it's good. I was picking up a lot of genty guitar vibes, like... I'm actually really about that, like, tonality with guitars. Like, when you can get that deep with it, oof, that's hardcore, baby. <laughs> yeah, I just thought in general this song is pretty good, and then I like what they did at the end with the breakdown, and they went pretty hard at the end, so figured it was worth putting on the list. Next up is Curses, and I guess they're out of West Virginia. I hadn't heard of them before. The song they put out this week is called The Door in the Wall, and my roommate actually found this and showed me them. I wasn't really sold with the cleans in the beginning, but then once you get towards the end, I actually really like the breakdown and how heavy they ended up going. Yeah. So that's what kept me interested in this track, and I'm definitely interested to see what they do in the future. Well, do you kind of get the vibe too? Like, I mean, we've been talking about like that classic core sound. Like, I felt the mixture with the cleans and the screams, like it did bring me back to earlier metal that like really defined my taste back in high school, I would say. So it definitely was kind of a throwback in a way. I think the vocal style itself wasn't really what I was listening to in the formative years, but it was definitely one of the, I feel like, popular styles from the 2000s, so still staying in line with the Upon a Burning Body song and the Inferior song, so just a lot of that this week, which was really interesting. We got a theme going. (laughs) I mean, switching completely over, though, had to say that there's some new City in Color, so if you don't know who City in Color is, it's pretty much Dallas Green's other project, so... So Dallas Green, vocalist from Alexis on Fire. And yeah, both of these songs, definitely slow and acoustic, very chill vibes. So not even within what City and Color normally does. But if that's your thing, then I would definitely recommend checking them out. His voice is gorgeous. 
It really is. So uh, the two tracks that came out were Murderer and Sunflower. Both of them do have that indie acoustic vibe, but like Murderer, like that, oof, out of the two, that was the strongest one for me. I love the bass line in that. I love the little clicking electronic sample that he uses throughout that. And I feel like they couple really well with his voice, his lyrics, what's going on in that song. Like, I don't know. Out of like the non-metal songs that we're talking about uh these two are very up there for me i definitely thought both were good i kept going back and forth on which one i liked better just really good if you're into like indie acoustic then i would definitely go check them out sort of on the same lighter track i guess kind of indie i never know where to place this band exactly but tiger's jaw put out a new song called warn me and i in the past have like actively not liked what i've heard from tiger's jaw and this is probably my favorite thing i've ever heard from them so that's pretty cool i enjoyed it uh i don't know i think i would call them emo they're somewhere in like the pop punk realm but they're like this song felt a little more on the indie side. I don't know. I, I guess in recent years, I've kind of like fell out of that band. Like I haven't listened to them as much, but uh, hearing this song makes me really want to kind of dive back into the band. So I'm excited to see what else they come out with coming up here. Yeah. I don't know if this is just a one-off or if this is also warming up to an album, but definitely interested. Definitely in the indie realm, not so much the alt realm, is Donna Missal. And she put out a song called How Does It Feel? I just love her voice, and we actually talked about her on episode five because she put together that list of labels that had said they put out or that had said they were going to donate to Black Lives Matter versus like who posted receipts and who hadn't said anything at all and all of that. So just want to shout out her new song. Wow, I I feel bad because like we were talking about her and I was like looking at her name like I feel like I've heard her name before. She sounds familiar. But yes, her music is I don't know. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it kind of has like this road trip vibe. Like you can listen to it as you're driving down the highway and just like sing along with it, belt out your your soul. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's the best way. <laughs> belt out your soul. Like, how does it feel? Like you sing that, you're like, "Ooh, baby, who hurt you?" You know? Yeah, no, it definitely does. Her other stuff, like this song's a little out of the normal for what I've heard from her. This is more in like the Maggie Rogers realm of things. Another artist I fucking love. Um, she has a lot of like. I'm definitely going to call it road trip indie now. That's the new thing. Um, You feel that? You feel that vibe? I like that. I feel it. It's definitely road trip indie. (laughs) Next song is still on the lighter side, but just interesting because it's a group that used to have a lot of popularity rebranding and coming out with an album soon. So the Dixie Chicks have now changed their name to The Chicks and put out this song called March March this week. I like that they dropped the Dixie out of the name, you know? I feel like that right there is a very conscious move. It's funny that you mentioned that because like I had no idea this was a rebranding. When I was listening to this song this week, I was like, you know, I'm picking up some like early 2000s country Dixie Chicks kind of vibes. (laughs) And come to find out, I hit the nail on the head on that one. (laughs) Yeah, you did. That's the rebranding. I am sure they specified why they did that. I didn't read further into it. But I think it's cool. I think it's a very interesting strategic move because this album, I think, is going to be called Gaslighter. And this is actually the third single from the album album but to my understanding they dropped the other two still under the dixie chicks so i think the rebranding also gave them an excuse to sort of get that media boost because this song i think has been streamed a lot more than the others and also it's so timely 
The song isn't very complicated. It is pretty straightforward, but I really liked it. I'm here for the lyrical content, and then I actually really love the way that the fiddle plays into it. I felt the instrumentation too, and like, I've never really been a big fan of country, but there's certain aspects of country that I really do like, and having string instruments like fiddles and and cellos and stuff like that, like, I'm all about that. Yeah, it plays really well, so congratulations to them, and I will probably check out the album because of this. I've never really been a country person at all, but it's kind of just enough in the, I guess, pop side that I might be into it. I feel that. Moving right along, we do have another protest jam from the one and only Tom Morello. It's called Stand Up. It has a few different features. Uh, I'm not too familiar with these uh, people or these groups, but it features Shay Diamond, Dan Reynolds, and the Bloody Beetroots. No, this is, this is really good stuff. You've probably heard of Dan Reynolds as well. You just didn't know it because he's actually in Imagine Dragons. Hmm. And then the Bloody Beat Troops are an Italian electronic dance music project. So interesting team up on this one. I haven't heard of Shea Diamond before, but they're also on there. I really loved this song. I felt like the chorus was just straight up infectious. Yeah. If Tom keeps up with the same vein of music, I could definitely see him playing with Fever 333. You know, it just is very much in line with that protest jams that are infectious, that are catchy, but also very poignant with what they're saying. Yeah, they're also really mixing in different genres to kind of birth this thing. But yeah, I don't know. I was really on board with this track from the beginning just because of the chorus, honestly, is like the huge, the biggest, the chorus, honestly, is the biggest selling point for me. I love the way the guitar plays in there. It's the vocals going on almost give me like audio slave vibes, like is where that took my mind immediately. Like, I don't know, really here for this song. Dug this a lot. I really did dig this song as well. It was uh, one of my favorites from this week. Next up, we do have a song from Hot Milk, California's Burning. Have you ever heard of this band before? I have not. So they're from the UK. And so it's more like kind of weird interesting genre bendy uk music (laughs) like last week we had wargasm when i first heard of this band my friend turned me on to them as like an emo could have been a warp tour band if you know warp tour didn't die (laughs) um or uh go into hibernation you know whatever you want to believe but this was very different from the first couple songs i'd heard them dropped i thought it was a really interesting track it's very like upbeat I guess on the pop punk side, but it actually goes kind of hard at the end. And I thought it was interesting they chose to do a song called California's Burning, being from the UK. (laughs) I guess I didn't even realize they were from the UK this whole time. I thought they were from California, but I don't know why I'm assuming things just based on the name of a song. Either way, though, I I enjoyed it. It was a good song. The assumption makes sense. (laughs) We also had a song called Alive from an artist I hadn't heard of called, I think, Garden, but it's G-A-U-R-D-I-N, featuring one of my favorite vocalists, Lynn Gunn of Paris. How did you feel about this song? I like this one a lot. It was very, you know, the instrumentals were very chill, but also like the lyrical content was very hard hitting. And, you know, it has that like that emo appeal to it. I'm not necessarily saying it sounds like emo, but just like I'm all about lyrics that'll make you think about yourself. 
I definitely would say this is like emo rap. Like, I would say that's exactly where this falls into. And so that's also what made it kind of interesting that they chose to feature Lynn Gunn on it. So also bringing in from the alternative scene. But yeah, I think her vocals blend in really well in the song. The song's really catchy. It's not like overwhelmingly SoundCloud rap sounding or anything like that. It's definitely got some of those emo rap elements to it, though. And that would be the best way I can describe it. Yeah, I know my my emo vibes. <laughs> <laughs> and then speaking of Paris, they actually put out an announcement this week that their July 10th album, Use Me, is going to be moved until August 28th. So Lynn put out the statement on the band's social media saying, I do not want to take up space in promoting Use Me at this moment in time. Therefore, we'll be pushing the album release back until August 28th. Self-promotion can wait for now, and I want to make room and hold space for the conversation and message of the Black Lives Matter movement to continue. As a way for the Paris community to give back in the meantime, we are in the process of setting up a charity auction and other activating events for us to come together. Use our collective power for good and to give back. More details to come soon. Hope you can understand and respect this decision. I like that a lot. That's, I mean, that hits the nail on the head. Like, now is not the time for self-promotion. There's more important things to talk about right now. And I don't know, I think that makes me like Lynn and Paris even more. I just, I don't know, that makes them more real. I would say they're the only band I've really seen, like, at least that's putting out new releases and stuff that's really put, you know, their, I guess, money where their mouth is, technically. So I thought that was really interesting. Most of the other bands that we've covered with new releases haven't commented like that at all. So definitely thought it was an interesting contrast. Still really looking forward to the album. Selfishly sad I can't hear it this week, but that's just uh, means that I get to focus on the Sharp Teeth album. So hey, it's all right with me. So uh, next up, we have a couple tracks from Keonashi, Hexes on High School Girls, and Oh Ear or Ailing Lawlessly, or Give Me. (laughs) (laughs) Such a weird name on that one. This band hasn't released anything in a few years, so I'm sure Keonashi fans were like really stoked. So they dropped Hexes on High School Girls, and this track is not at all like what I'm familiar with them having, and it's very much like... I want to say it's also kind of in that, like, emo rap vibe. It's sort of there. It's not quite rap, but it's, like, the same vibe, if that makes sense. And the next two that we're going to talk about are my actual favorites from this week, but Hexes on High School Girls is, like, a close second. Like, I love it, and I was really surprised with it. And then the very next day, they dropped Oh Ear or Ailing Lawlessly or Give Me, and fans were probably really excited about that one, because the second one is very much, like, what I associate with Keonati. Same here. Also, like, you know, I pick up on just heavy nostalgia, like, I feel like both of these songs are about high school experiences, you know, being in the scene or with the first one, you know, falling in love for the first time. But I don't know. Did you see the album artwork, too? Like, both of them were, uh, like, yearbook photos. Yeah, I did see that. The first one very much felt like a kind of self-loathy, self-discovery breakup song. But the second one, I feel like, was just straight up about racism in the scene. Like, I don't even think it was high school. I think it was, like, straight-up racism in the scene. Like, the lyrics are, like, always putting myself on the line for friends that don't give a fuck about me. The last lines of the song are him screaming, the scene is not for me, four times with a fuck you at the end. I think the chorus is literally, fuck me, fuck you. (laughs) Like, it's a very, like, there's a lot going on there. I tried looking up the lyrics and they weren't up yet, but very, like, angry track. And that's what I was picking up from it, though. 
Well, I mean, I guess thinking about that and then just like hearing it back in my head, like I, I you're definitely onto something there. I was so zoned in on like the whole high school like nostalgia that that's kind of like where it was for me. And I thought that he was calling out somebody like a bully from back then. But <laughs> that's that's where I got. Oh, yeah. Both tracks were very strong. And uh, I'm looking forward to hearing more of, um, you know, anything that's with the new project. I don't know if this is just like two singles that they dropped, but I saw them put out a new music video for like an old song a few weeks ago so maybe i don't know i guess to me like it says that there's some hope that maybe they're like coming back around and gonna be putting some new stuff out and i'm definitely interested to see where they're taking it so i don't know next song was very interesting to see drop for a lot of reasons but like makes me feel like the roaring 20s are here baby like it's very old school emo it's from the band if i die first and this is their debut track, Where Needles and Lovers Collide. Definitely picking up on old school emo vibes, the vocals, the lyrical content, the instruments, like everything put together is bringing, bringing me back to that, <laughs> that nostalgic feeling. The roaring 20s are upon us indeed. It's interesting because I've been thinking a lot, you know, especially this week, like we've been listening to one of the old Under Oath albums and me just thinking about like how that kind of music would be perceived now versus like just liking it because of the nostalgia factor. And I was kind of leaning more towards hearing something like this now. I wouldn't like it as much, but like I was wrong. I fucking fell in love with this track. This is one of my favorite two things to drop this week, like hands down. And do you know anything about the band? I don't, but I like... I know earlier I said I like, you know, hardcore, like, metal-sounding names, but also, if there's an emo band with a very emo name, like, I fucking love that, too. If I die first, like, come on, that's that's emo to the core. <laughs> you just like band-fitting names. <laughs> yeah. I guess the equivalent of that would be, like, pets that look like their owners. Like, I like, I like <laughs> band names that fit with the band and the genre. Like, <laughs> Yeah. Band names that look like their owners. <laughs> <laughs> there you um... go. But yeah, so I was interested to check out this track because, so it's made up of mostly like emo rappers. So like Lil Lotus is one of the vocalists and then a couple others that I wasn't as familiar with. And listening to it, I was like, man, this has such like from first to last vibes and then plot twists, like the guitarist from first to last, isn't it? So like, so it's a very interesting band makeup. But yeah, I'm really excited for this project. I hope they've got some recordings out or some recordings ready to go, I should say. That actually makes me more excited. <laughs> like we got from first to last vibes in there and then also like the new age of what emo kind of is becoming like the sad voice soundcloud rap like that's i'm i'm all for that that's cool and i think this really emphasizes my point of like all the emo soundcloud rappers and like trap metal people and all of that that people like to hate on from our scene like literally all of their roots is old school emo and metal and hardcore like that's what they fucking listen to so the stuff that comes out like emo rap or trap metal and whatever is usually just self-produced. Oh, the other, a couple of the other band members are actually from like the band that I think Ghostman tours with. I don't know if he records with them in the studio as well, but also a couple members from there. Nice. Well, uh, I'm definitely going to be interested to seek out more of this stuff and see what else they do. Now, I, th I think that we can both agree that this might have been, no, not might have been, this was the best track that dropped recently that we've been listening to. Spearbox dropped the track, Holy Roller, from the get-go, like, 
she's making um comparisons to like you know like the body of christ like this is my blood this is my body and like like all right here we go i mean it's called holy roller so just knowing like the name of it like it's not surprising where the song went but like it picks up right away and once the once the guitars hit once the drums hit like it's a non-stop wild ride and i'm I'm all about this shit. Yeah, with this song, I wanted to say this is the last new release of the week that we're going to talk about, but it is certainly not the least. Spirit Box, once again, just fucking brought it. So the song started, and it's this weird, distorted, like, talking, and honestly, I, like, flashed back to Bring Me the Horizon instantly, and I was like, no! (laughs) (laughs) I was so concerned for, like, the, you know, first... 15 seconds or whatever it is and then like as soon as that guitar hits i was like oh thank fuck (laughs) like and then like courtney comes in with these just fucking deep heavy vocals it's melodically as far as like timing and the way that the vocal melody goes is like it's fucking everything that i'm looking for like holy shit for holy roller right like i god i fucking love spirit box everything from belcara on that they have dropped for me is just a solid 10 out of 10 and uh it turns out that they have booked some studio time in august so hopefully we're going to be getting a full length soon and like i'm so fucking psyched for what this band does I think she really puts on, um, I guess for lack of a better term, like vocal gymnastics. Like she's showing off everything that she can do. Maybe not even like showing off. Like she's just like, yep, this is what I do. You're going to fucking love it. Well, that's what I was talking about with Acacia Strain last week when I was like so excited for this Courtney feature. And then it was like, okay, like, yeah, she got her cool cleans. But like, I thought they were going to use this. Like, this is the range that I thought they would be using in their track. Because like, if I was them, that's what I would want. But like, so visceral. Ah, she's just, she's just so good. Like, cannot say enough good things. I guess the only other thing to say is, um, Hot damn, I like this track. A few other EPs and albums that dropped this week. There is 30 Nights of Violence, their EP. You'll see me up there dropped. A lot of people were talking about this one. I've heard a few songs off it. I really liked it as well. Barry Tomorrow put out a new album called Cannibal. Amir put out Hindsight. Trapped put out an album. Just a reminder... Don't fucking listen to Trapped. Who cares about them? The One of the only bands I'll fucking take that strongest stance on. The Front Bottoms put out an EP that's literally just the title of the three songs they dropped. So Montgomery Forever slash Everyone Bloom slash Camouflage. Never been my thing, but I know a lot of people are into them. I don't know if I'm going to pronounce this right, so I'm going to spell it, but Foxjaw. So they dropped their first album, so it's spelled P-H-O-X. J-A-W, and the first album's Royal Swan. A lot of people have been hyping this one up. I've liked everything off it so far. There's a new hardcore project in the vein of, like, turnstile hardcore called Glorious in the UK, and it's actually members of a band I fucking love called Employed to Serve. They're more on, like, the metalcore side, and a band I haven't heard of called Renounced, but I guess it's a mixture of their band members, and they just dropped a EP called Unashamed. So if you're into, like, that turnstile-y hardcore stuff, then definitely go check that out. And then also just something fun from this week is Necro Goblicon put out a chopped suey cover and it was very confusing but it's <laughs> it's there it happened this is one that I found out like the day that it came out and I love that song like that was one of the first metal songs that I found as a kid in junior high and I automatically had to click on that and listen to it 
they did their own thing with it, but it still sounded good. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting for sure. <laughs> so for news this week, the last music festival I knew of that was still planning to go forward in 2020, and they were pretty vocal about not postponing, but they finally did it. Fest in Florida has been postponed to October 29th, 30th, and 31st of 2021. So a full year. Wow, that was like the last bastion of hope for like concerts this year and festivals. But I mean, it's it's understandable. It's this is the climate that we live in, and you know, I would rather postpone all these festivals than you know drive the spike up more, like drive all these cases through the roof again. So good on good on them. Yeah, for sure. The only thing that hasn't been postponed yet, but. Even the band is saying it's likely is Tid the Season 2020, which will be the very end of the year. So we'll see on that. Also, Suicide Silence started a virtual tour in the last, I think it started in the last week. So they said that they're playing a different show every night. They're live streaming it. And in order to buy the ticket, you have to be within the location that you're buying for. So for example, Whoa. like, Last night, they did the Baltimore area, and then they mix and match areas, so it's not, it wasn't just this area, it was, like, Baltimore and then some other random places, and so it's, like, two or three areas per night, and they claim to be doing a different show, different set list every night, and then I think gaining access to it, I think it was, like, ten bucks, then you gain access to a different merch store. What do you think about this? I think what I'm most intrigued by is that they're, it's it's kind of like you are going to a real concert. Like, you have to live in that area to partake in the music. Like, that's, I don't know, that almost makes it seem like how things used to be. <laughs> but still able to watch it from home. Yeah, I mean, it's none of the, the energy. I definitely thought it was an interesting approach. I would be interested to see if other bands started doing this. I think maybe this was the thought because you know, bands were doing shows for free, and then some started charging. So maybe this made them feel like more justified in charging per se. But it seems like a lot of extra work is what I found odd about this because I didn't tune in last night. So I don't know if they're just at someone's house or what they're doing. But if they're at a separate space, then you have to rent that space. You have to get everything set up. You have to actually play through every night, you know? And it's not like you are bound by location. In reality, like, they could just do one stream to a ton of people. I don't know. I just, it just seemed weird. And I don't know how many people are showing up to the chat room. So maybe it ended up being, like, a really cool intimate experience. And maybe they were, like, on mic and interactive and looking at comments. I, I'm not really sure how this went down. I just thought it was a, again, an interesting approach. I don't know if I, I would have taken it if I was them, but. But that that's it, though. Like, I, I do feel like they're trying to uh, bring back that intimacy of going to see a live band, you know? I feel like that's only if people, like, didn't buy a bunch, right? Because I don't think there was a cap per area. So, like, if there was over a thousand people tuning in from these three specific areas, then, like, that wouldn't work. But if there was only, like, 50 people tuning in, which means you're putting on all of that for, like, $500 in live stream fees, then it would have that cool intimate experience, but then it seems like not a lot of payoff for so much work. So it does seem like a lot of work. I don't know how it turned out. Like I said, I didn't watch the one last night. I just thought it was such a like interesting idea and there are a lot of pros and cons to it. So just kind of interested to see if anyone tries to follow suit or what happens. 
people are thinking outside the box. Like, you know, this is this is a new time for live entertainment. So it, it's cool to see bands that are taking new steps or, or a different stance on what they're doing, right? Yeah. Under Oath, which, you know, we'll be talking more about here in a little bit, but they're also kind of doing this where they're setting up multiple different shows. But instead of geocaching it, they are doing three different live streams and each live stream is a specific album, which makes a little more sense to me from like a business perspective. So each one, the general admission is $15. On July 17th, they're doing Lost in the Sound of Separation. On July 24th, they're doing Define the Great Line. And then on July 31st, they're doing their Only Chasing Safety, which is, you know, the one that we're going to be talking about today. And they also reprinted all three of these on vinyl, and you can buy them in a box set for $85, or you can buy them separately for $80. So I guess the box is the extra five bucks, and then it's actually free shipping, which I thought was cool. They also have different, like, packages. They have an elite ticket, a platinum ticket, and then an all-access bundle. I'm not really sure what each entails, but I felt like this was kind of a similar thing, just a different strategy to it. And I think this strategy makes a little more sense to me from like a business side of things. I'm really excited about this. Like all three of these albums are my favorite Under Oath albums. So I'm definitely going to be tuning in for this stuff. Hey, there you go. I don't know if they have a way to like bundle all three tickets, which seems like they should without doing the, the show bundle, but that'll just have to be something you look into. If you're interested in checking this out, the website that this is all on is underoath and then it's observatory.com. So I don't think that's their normal site. I think it's a different one. No, I like that though. Like under oath observatory, like that just, that makes it sound all the more badass, honestly. Yeah. So the rest of the news this week isn't great, to be honest. It's all kind of shitty stuff. Just a heads up. There is a wall flag company called Mandatory Merch slash Mandatory Merch Exclusives, and they have been posting bootleg flags. And I guess they were even contacting bands and then about like making the flags legitimately. And then some people reported like in the middle of these dealings, like sending them artwork that they would potentially have on the flag. And then now these people that are bootlegging anyways have access to like more material to make and some people have had issues with actually getting the material and like i saw um asking alexandria acknowledge this this week i saw a post from one of the members of attack attack who has the rights to all the merge and stuff posted a long post on a group i'm on talking about this and yeah so i just wanted to give a heads up don't buy from mandatory merch because you might not get your flag and it's not actually supporting bands yeah so that's a that's a double negative right there So, content warning here. The rest of the stories that happened this week involve sexual assault and sexual assault allegations. We are not going to go in depth with each story and read victim statements or give details about the stories. Just tell you where to find it if you want to find it and interesting things that stuck out or are different from other cases that have been going on. We've talked a ton about this, especially in between the core two that we did this last week. So it just feels like we'd be repeating a lot of the same stuff. And honestly, I'm a little drained on this to do a between the core third week in a row when a lot of these are kind of the same things we've been talking about. So we'll give you enough that, you know, if you don't want to know every detail, like you get the story, but we're just not going to be going as far in as we were, or as we have the last few weeks. All right. So first thing is a Girlwood update went out. We covered this a few episodes ago, and there hadn't been any sort of announcements addressing this since. 
On the Girlwood official page, there is a statement posted, and then there's, like, a caption to the picture of the statement. So the caption says, Girlwood started as my solo project in 2016. So I guess Ray is posting this. They say, I've had two drummers since then, the first being Greg, the second being Karen. There will be a third. As Karen and I both stated, I hope you continue to support us in our endeavors with a smiley face. And then there's a signed, honestly, kind of legal looking statement, which is really interesting. Kind of like an NDA almost. I don't know if it exactly looks like an NDA, but it does look like a... So, like, if there was a court case about this, like, I'll just say this would be used. So let's put it that way. So this says, joint public statement from Karen Ledford and Rachel Stout, and then in quotation marks, Girlwood, for immediate release June 29th, 2020. The statement says... In the last month, certain circumstances regarding Girlwood have become public. However, at this point, we would like to move forward with our lives in a more positive manner. We have decided, therefore, to go our separate ways. There have been death threats made against us in regard to these personal differences and as civil human beings. We find these alarming, appalling, and simply unacceptable. They must stop right now. Any more death threats received will be turned over to law enforcement. Having said the above, we will no longer be discussing our personal differences in and with the public. We hope that you will respect our wishes and help us move on with our lives. We would do the same for you. We are very appreciative, thankful, and grateful for the support you have given us as Girlwood. We hope that you will continue to support us in anything we choose to do. Thank you with love. Karen Ledford, signed. And then Rachel Stout, signed. So definitely interesting first statement like this I've seen in one of these situations. I just thought it was interesting that the document itself was so official and like legal looking. I guess it was just, I've never seen anything like that either. Yeah. And the wording's very interesting with the situation, such as it's very much framed as like there were civil differences, I believe is the phrase. And that was the (laughs) dispute, whereas the dispute was assault allegations. So I think a lot of people were kind of thrown off and confused by this. I don't really know what to make of it, but that is what they said. They'd like to, I guess, put these in the past and ask for continued support. I don't know. It's, It's an interesting one. Next, there were some allegations against the now former bassist of Great American Ghost, Joey Perone, came out online, allegations of him being inappropriate and, I believe, assaulting a underage girl. Great American Ghost responded that he was removed immediately. If you want to see their statement, it's on their Instagram. Also, Metal Sucks covered it. Probably Lamgoat as well and the other metal websites if you want to see more. One that shocked a lot of people, a bigger band, Emma Rosa got dropped from Hopeless Records this week because the singer Bradley was accused of grooming and trying to get inappropriate pictures from an underage girl. A band I hadn't heard of from Indiana called No Victory. Multiple allegations against multiple members. I'm not sure if it was all of the members but the vocalist, but the vocalist whose name is Austin and his Twitter handle is HeadsYouLose underscore and he straight up was like just burn all of our music delete it off your band camp don't listen to this anymore and uh, I guess their label dropped them as well so I thought that was definitely a different response than the normal but really interesting well yeah usually it seems like they well the remaining members would try to continue on but he's like nope fucking burn it down like that he said that like Burn it down. Yeah. The members usually go into damage control, but I guess he, I guess it seems like it was all of their members. I'm not sure if it was all of them. 
but him, but it definitely seems like he's like, no, fuck this. Like, I don't want any part of this anymore. So definitely interesting. The article I saw on it was Lamgo, and then you could also look at his Twitter. A band that definitely was up and coming in like the hardcore metalcore scene was Chamber, and they have kicked out guitarist Mike Monahan, I think is how you pronounce his name. Someone came out on Twitter accusing him of assault in 2015, and I thought his response was really interesting. So I am going to read his response to it. Mike said, wanted everyone to know that I came to Nikki, who is the girl who made the accusation, to accept accountability and responsibility for my past behaviors in an effort to make everyone feel safe and comfortable. I am no longer a part of Chamber. I am doing my own research on accountability programs and am open to any and all guidelines as I navigate through this. I decided to take accountability because I had to recognize the damaging potential of my behavior. I have since learned and have since become a better version of myself, but the journey does not end. Hold your friends accountable. Hold yourself accountable. Be better. And that is also very different than what we usually see the response to accusations. So a little jarring, but I'm actually really glad that his response was owning it and actually still encouraging other people instead of, because he could have easily been like, this is bullshit, this is cancel culture, blah, blah, blah. But he straight up says, hold your friends accountable, hold yourself accountable. So, and that's like, I feel like the big theme of all of this. Right. And, you know, it's, I think Sam was the one that said this, like, it's hard to know somebody in their heart of hearts. Like, if he is very sincere about this, that's a very refreshing take on everything. People should take accountability for shitty things that they do. And lately, with all these things coming to light, like, typical response is deflecting or blaming something else or just overall not taking accountability or acknowledging what you've done so it is it is jarring but refreshing at the same time yeah i also really appreciate the hold your friends accountable hold yourself accountable because a lot of people that are just like people within the scene that listen to this music not necessarily involved in it as more things come out the more i see the response of guess we just gotta cancel this whole scene because it's everybody blah 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 and like which is a way to just deflect instead of look at the actual issue and so i appreciate that i feel like that statement helps discourage anyone that would be on his status like you shouldn't be canceling him blah 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 and he's like no like i i fucked up hold me accountable hold other people accountable don't slow down this so i thought that was really interesting I actually want to bring special attention to this one, so going to describe it just a little bit more, but still not going to explicitly go into what he has said to underage girls, because of course it's underage girls. So I haven't heard of this guy or either of his bands before, but Brady Shuhai. So I guess he used to be a part of a band called Late Night Reading, and again, I've never heard of them. To what I understand, it's kind of pop punky somewhere in there he's no longer of that band but i guess that's where he kind of got on the radar and then he as of october was in another band called point north which also seems like pop punk so brady is a tiktoker and i guess he's on youtube as well and what started this is he made a video talking about his past behavior and admitting, like, blatantly in the video to texting, like, as he put it, 16, 17-year-olds when he was 18, 19, 20. So, as it turns out, there is a thread on Twitter, which only has, like, 600 likes right now, by a user whose name is It's Sammy. So, it's a bunch of, like, it's, like, two S's, I think four A's, four M's, three I's. 
Sammy. And the thread is showing all of these screenshots of messages from Facebook, from Twitter, from Kick that are supposed to be from this guy. But the girls are not 1617. Not that that, not that that makes it better. But I think his purpose in saying that was to try to lessen the issue. But these girls were as young as 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. And these messages were not subtle. There was no way to take it any other way. They were very explicit. It will make you sick to your stomach. Like, it's really gross. There are two YouTube videos, because I've only seen two. Like I said, really, nobody's talking about this. So the first one, and it's kind of the TLDR, is from a user on YouTube called Blur Mac, which is F-L-E-U-R-M-A-C. And their video is only like six minutes long. It's a really quick watch. It just sums up all of this. And then the longer video going into all of this and it shows more of the screenshots and everything is a video from Jacqueline Glenn. So her YouTube name is spelled J-A-C-L-Y-N and then it's G-L-E-N-N. And band and alternative scene, that kind of stuff isn't her following. So her views are at 80,000 but her videos are usually more like political commentary, religious commentary. She does expose predators as well, but again, it's just not as much of like a metal hardcore fan base. But yeah, so I think that's why like nobody's fucking talking about this. And it is a fucking problem because this guy, like I said, he's on YouTube and TikTok, and TikTok is an app that is primarily younger users. Like a lot of preteens, teenagers are on this, and he has almost 500,000 followers on TikTok. 500k is the access he has to presumably mostly young people. So yeah, this is fucked up. I wish more people were talking about this. When I say I don't know if he's a part of Point North or not anymore is because I found an interview from October 2019, so just a few months ago, that he was still touring with them as their bassist. There's an article from 2017 that he's in the band and seems to have been a founding member, so... This wasn't just a touring basis, but then somewhere along the way, he just stops showing up in their, like, social media posts. Like, he's no longer in the pictures, and I think they're, you know, getting up to release an album, but I couldn't find anything about it, so I don't know if he was kicked out, and I don't know if it was for this, or I don't know if he left on his own accord. I do think, you know, if Point North knows about this... And I don't know anything about this band. I don't know if they do. I think they need to say something because if people are, you know, really into that band and follow him, then that gives him access to it. And they should, again, like nobody's talking about this. So I, I don't know. It's, uh, I just think it's wild no one's talking about it. <laughs> like, well, it's alarming on so many levels. Like, obviously, whenever you're dealing with, you know, someone who's actively exhibiting predatory behavior towards minors... Like that's that's shocking enough on its own. But I've I've never heard about this. I've never heard about him. I've never heard about the band. So just reviewing the videos that we've already talked about, you know, they showed clips. They've showed bits and pieces of his video. Because it's taken down, by the way. Um, the video is no longer available to view his original one. But there oh. are clips in the two videos that are still up. But yeah, no. If if you if you seek out the material that we're talking about, look at the difference in likes and dislikes that this video had before it was taken down. It had over 2,000 likes. Jesus Christ, it had over 2,000 likes and less than 200, I believe, less than 200 downvotes. Like, that's ridiculous. Yeah, the video very much framed it as him 
you know, holding himself accountable for this behavior and, you know, now realizing it was wrong and changing and uh, the screenshots, the only defense to the screenshots that are on this Twitter exposed thread, it's not even, like, you can't even use the anonymous uh, excuse, like, these are straight off of social media apps showing his name and his pictures. So his only excuse is like, that's not my account or I've been hacked. But like, considering it's such, um, just how many people came forward, how many young girls came forward with this material and how explicit the pattern is. And like, I, it's, it's really bad. Like 500,000 followers on TikTok. And I don't even want to know how many of them are kids. Like, ugh. That's another whole other part of this. Like he still has a platform and and a base to to prey off of basically. Like that's a lot of people. I like how probably like no one in the scene has heard of him. Like when I looked up Point North, I only had like a couple friends that followed that band. It seemed like they're kind of like mid-tier pop punk or whatever, but I feel like people in our scene are not familiar with it at all. And then he's got like 500k followers. Like what the fuck is this? So just wanted to point attention to that in our small corner of the internet because it is fucked up. Yeah, to say the least, like that's, oof. This is one of those things I'm like, I'm not staying neutral here. <laughs> like this no. is fucked up. <laughs> we could honestly do a hold between the core on this guy. Like he, he's that off. Yeah. Both of those videos that I talked about, so Jacqueline Glenn and Fleur Mac really gather the receipts. And then again, there is a Twitter thread that shows all of the messages. If you want to read them, I read them just for information's sake for doing this. I would have liked to have not. So gross. To end off on, it's like funny, but in a sad way because of all of these fucking allegations that have come out specifically in the last week and then even, you know, the last couple weeks, Lambgoat tweeted, we didn't post a single news item today about allegations of sexual misconduct, racism, or anything else inappropriate. I consider that a win, which is a very sad, sad tweet. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like top tier self-deprecating humor but it's like not just self like it's an entire scene <laughs> but yes, it's a scene deprecating humor <laughs> well now that we're done with the gross bits let's just fucking jump into the album that we're going to be reviewing this week this is going to be the first installation of a thing we want to do on here which is the revisited series so pretty much the guideline is it's got to be at least 10 years old and then we go back listen to it talk about how we felt about it then, how we feel about it now, you know, if it was influential, if it would be liked now, all that good stuff. And to start off, we decided to go with an album that I believe part of both of our intros into the core world in general, which is their Only Chasing Safety by Under Oath. They put it out in 2004. Long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> in a galaxy not so far away. So, I mean... You're definitely right on that because for for me at least it was it was basically like the the first building block for me getting into metalcore. You know, I came from a very religious background and the only music that was was okay for me to listen to or bring into the house was Christian music. So, I was always looking for that harder edge like, you know, we've talked about bands in the past that like, you know, like Showbread and like bands like that that really were my first like kind of exploration into harder music but also something that i could get behind something that i was able to get behind because of what they labeled themselves as but let's talk about how big this was for the movement like 2004 
was like Christian metalcore, like 101. Like that was what was big at that time. So not only was I able to get into this music because it was religious, but I was also getting behind something that at this point kind of feels like a movement. I would definitely say it was a big momentum at the time, of course. Like basically every band was some kind of Christcore, like identifying with Christian metalcore post-hardcore or whatever. I know when I found this, so it was the days before streaming and I was just on YouTube. I think I had found a couple songs that I could tolerate like some amount of screaming in. So I was trying to find stuff more in like that vein that I liked. And I remember finding Boy Brushed in Red and I fell in love with it instantly. So it was like the first song that really incorporated screaming that wasn't like tears don't fall by a bullet for my valentine or um taking it back i mean honestly yeah like that was one of that was like the first song i ever liked was screaming in it and there were some others that had like that amount that i then found tolerable but i still definitely wasn't ready to go into like if i tried to put on like year of the knife or something like absolutely not obviously it wasn't around back then but you know but under Oath, like, when I found that song, I was just like, I want this. Like, where the fuck do I find more of this? And it definitely became, like, a building block for me. So that was, like, ninth grade. And I was still on the religious train at that point. And so I think I did find that they were a Christian band. And that that was like, oh, cool. Like, I don't know. I guess it made me identify with them more. Also, growing up in the church, like, you're taught that non-Christian people are bad. So, <laughs> you know, I probably had some like 14-year-old feelings about that. I guess it was one of those albums that made, and this feels bad saying, but it made it more palatable, you know, the, this type of music. and Oh, no, definitely. Like, it's definitely like a, got, <laughs> Under Oath was a fucking gateway drug. <laughs> yeah, but it also like redefined what metal meant to me, you know, because like metal, <laughs> when I first started hearing music that was like, considered metal or metalcore if you will it was always like down-tuned guitars and screaming throughout and i was like how am i ever gonna get into this like i want to i was on the cusp of it but it was very aggressive and almost off-putting at that time in my life but this was like yeah okay these guitars are not down-tuned they're not screaming all the time and the songs don't really have like that typical makeup right like it's not just like verse chorus verse breakdown chorus like it it's different. Like, every song is fucking different. I love it. Yeah, because, like, so when I found this, it was 2009. So this thing was already five years old, but it was very much in the same vein of what was then being made in 2009 because everyone was doing where it was just melodic shifts all over the place. Like, when we we're talking about Dance, Gavin, Dance, that's what I was talking about, that their their songs are all over the place. Like, it's one tempo here, and then it changes to a completely different melody over here, and that's what all of these bands did, but this band was doing it in 2004. And I don't want to say that they invented that, but I do think that this album was so huge that it definitely was influencing the stuff five years later. I, I definitely hear what you're saying there. Like, what they were doing in 2004 was definitely not necessarily piggybacked on, but there was a lot of bands that were becoming popular doing similar things. And I think that, you know, you probably found it at the right time because you're like, hold on, is this similar or different? Did it did it seem different to you at all? No, I mean, as a 14-year-old, this was 
I was finding all this shit at the same time, right? So, and like I said, this was 2009. So everything just sounded like what I was finding then. And I, I associate it with that time period because of it. So like when I found out that this album was released in 2004, for example, I was actually really surprised. I didn't realize that it had come out so much earlier than I guess probably the second wave. I guess for me, the way I think of the timeline now, just knowing more information is it feels like there were some bands in like the late 90s and early 2000s, the first few years that were like hardcore metalcore and kind of started the base of the Christian core scene. And so many people started getting into this kind of music and building from there. And then by 2004, it was really kind of the height of that with bands like Under Oath and Norma Jean and Showbread. And then by the time we get into like 2007, 2009, I feel like the fan bases of those bands like built up enough. And it probably was a lot of kids like what you were describing where it was young people who wanted to be into this heavier more aggressive music but their parents only wanted them to listen to christian stuff so it like opened that door enough and then by the time that you know y'all got a little bit older and maybe some of those like religious parents really needing to like uh, stronghold their children to christianity maybe a little of that had faded by you know 2009 with the change of the political scene of the time and all of this and i guess it just kind of opened up to where it felt like by 2009 not every band was a christian band anymore but those bands definitely did the work to get it popular enough where like the stuff that was coming out in 2009 was actually able to hit the fucking billboards like you know it was insanely popular at that point so that's how I kind of view the timeline I could be wrong because again I learned about it after the fact but that's sort of how I see it no that's actually how I feel too you pretty much hit it on the head like the nail on the head on that one well if we're wrong I guess someone will let us know (laughs) but that's some of our personal background with it I guess from there like let's just jump in Well, I guess one more thing I need to say that I realized this week. So again, I found this band on YouTube, right? And it was back in the days where you just had to like go find each individual song and like make a playlist. And I, because of that, did not really listen to albums until college. So when streaming services became more available, so I actually like just mix and matched and went off of YouTube recommendations and made a lot of like playlists with the same vibes and stuff like that. So Under Oath (laughs) is a band that I had heard a lot of songs from due to the mix and matching, but I really didn't listen to a ton of their stuff until, you know, there's a few songs that like really got me into the genre and then I branched off to other bands because there was just so much to find at that point. And they were always a band I like wanted to come back to and check more out from since they got me into it and I just never had an excuse, especially after they broke up. But when they, you know, we're getting back together I was like oh yeah I should probably finally do that since I'm gonna go see them finally like you know this full circle thing for me and so they're a band that like I know a ton of music by but I cannot for shit tell you what any song is based on the title minus like very few and so looking at this album I realized a I realized how much they play live still off of this album and I knew pretty much every song but I cannot match the fucking names to the songs for shit So I feel like I need to give that disclaimer to us talking about it because like I have so much to say, but like it's really hard to like connect the song to the title, I guess. That's actually really funny that you say that because, you know, I almost have that that same vibe, but there'll be a song that comes on like I I just put put it on shuffle, right? I hear the lyrics first. Lyrics are the first thing that like stick with me. And then I try to guess what the song is. And I don't know, I, I was not 
correct every time. So I, I definitely feel where you're coming from. I know all of these songs. Like, I can sing along to all of these songs. There's only one on here that's a weak one for me. Everything else, you know, 9 out of 10 is not. And I'm just really bad at the names. It's going to be interesting talking about it. But you know what? I'm going to try. I'm going to do my best. I mean, let's think about it this way. Like, well, you discovered them on YouTube. But this was like classic music that I would have on my iPod. And some of these song titles do not fit on the screen, right? (laughs) Like, it's a boy brushed red living in dot dot. Like, <laughs> yeah. So there's yeah. That. Oh man. Fucking iPods. Yeah, they were they were on my iPod. Ah, back when I had a Nano and then I had a Classic for a little bit. Good days to be, you know, young and aspiring again, which happens to be the first track on this album. This is one I think they've played almost every time I've seen them. Now <laughs> they still definitely play this song. Well, I don't know. I feel like it starts out. Like, it sets the mood perfectly, right? Because, like, you know, we come in complete silence, and then we have the, you know, that sample that kind of, like, starts it off. (laughs) And then Spencer, like, just screaming, like, so let's not even try, you're right. Yeah. That opening scream, like, ooh. That's like lightning striking my my young, impressionable mind back then. I was like, yeah, okay. (laughs) I see what you're about, (laughs) you know? I mean, it still gets hype, like... You know, it's hard not to, like, jam along with this album, even, I guess for me, it's a full 10 years later. This is definitely a great way to start out the album. I don't have any complaints on this track. But then it goes right into a song that I already referenced earlier. So, A Boy Brushed in Red, Living in Black and White. That's a song I definitely know, according to the name of. I still fucking love this song. I think this song still holds up so well today. It really does. And I'm really loving, like, revisiting this music, like, singing along with it, just looking into the lyrics more. It does make me feel like that kid again. Like, you know, in the intro, I admit that I'm just a fool for you. Like, I felt that one hard, like, because that's how I felt about some of my first relationships, even, you know? Yeah, bouncing off of that, I think what really makes a lot of this song specifically is just the vocal delivery on everything. So the way that he says, I'm just a fool for you, and then especially the part where it just goes straight into screaming after that, it just fucking hits. And maybe that is part of why it hits so hard is because you're just kind of in sort of this one, you know, these these cleans, it sounds really emo, it's got those kinds of influences, and then it's just like the next second you're in hardcore but it still works. Timing-wise, it's still very melodic and just fucking well put together, honestly. It's a really good track, too. Like, it keeps that energy going, and and we're fucking rolling. We're into it at this point, you know? Yeah. I mean, this is their, I feel like, most popular song. For me, it was, you know, this one, and then Riding on the Walls was the other one that I heard off of YouTube, like, in the same day. Maybe we should move on to the third track, which is The Impact of Reason. I feel like this is the weakest track thus far, and I, I do stand by that. Like, I don't know. I think I think what it was for me is, like, the opening intro, the guitar riff that they use. Like, it just, I could never really get into it. Like, I'm not saying it's bad, but it just took away from the energy that the two opening tracks had. I would have to say I disagree on that. I think this keeps the energy, and I like the guitar intro. It goes 
pretty much on the hardcore side for most of the song, and then at the end it finishes out with emo lyrics, with like a very emo vocal style going into the fourth track. I'm noticing that they like to repeat themselves in the outro. It'll be uh, one line that they repeat. Like, for this one, it's now conversation sparks. What an easy way to break the ice, and they say that twice. Like, that wasn't the first time they've done that on this album. Would you say they're uh, reinventing their exits? (laughs) Well... That was nice. Okay, that was, <laughs> that was good. Because also, if you look at reinventing your exit, it ends with the chorus where they're repeating up against the wall, up against the wall, you got me up against the wall. No, it's funny because like I was mentioning that their songs don't really have like, they're not traditional in the way that they're built, but they make their own tradition. Like, I guess like they make things sound like Under Oath on this album. And I guess I know that's not the same for every other Under Oath album, but it's just funny seeing that when you think about like they're not really doing that traditional like first chorus first breakdown outro intro whatever what have you like <laughs> yeah i mean they definitely established their own pattern that's for sure but it's you know it's a pattern that ended up becoming way more common i just i don't think it was as common in 2004 though and then certainly not what people are doing now when I listen to music, I try to rationalize it. I try to break it down based on what I've heard before. And this was something that I could not put into a box. Like, it, it was something completely different. So going back to reinventing your exit, I feel like, I think with this song, like, it's another one of those examples of me just feeling that time and place. It's always the opening lyric, the opening verse that, like, I feel it instantly and I'm, I'm taken back. Like, I remember listening to this song I'm sure I was loitering somewhere, like that's what we did in high school, but just nowhere to be, but with a community, with friends, and this was like that opening into that community. Yeah, that makes sense. This isn't one of the songs that I listened to, like, way back in the day, so I don't have really teenage association to it, but I do think it really fits with this album, so, like, with Under Oath, I don't, I don't think it's necessarily the opening lyrics that usually catches me with them, it's just that the way that the songs in this time period, and also in some of their other albums, not all of their albums, but some of their albums, it's just the overall song structure. I think that gets me and they are able to meld it together so perfectly. This song is just, it's just that it's really well put together. It maintains the same energy throughout. It's still having all of those melodic changes. That's probably how I feel about most of the album. But this is definitely one that, you know, even when I really started getting back into them and I couldn't tell you when the first time I heard the song was, I already knew the lyrics to it because I know I had just heard it so much. Now we're halfway through the album, and the blue note is like a nice little, you know, a nice little palate cleanser, if you will. I always thought that this was very jazzy for an instrumental to be on like a quote-unquote metalcore album, but like, I think looking back, I appreciate it all the more because it it fits, but at first listen, you're like, especially back then, you're just like, hold on, am I hearing this correctly? Like, what's going on here? Like, it's jazzy, it's, I don't know, I just love that drum beat so much, like, it just carries it. I mean, I always think of it as elevator music. Like, that's what it sounds like to me. And then even in their live shows more recently, they'll still play this as sort of the, like, elevator waiting in the middle from, like, one track while they probably are retuning or something or grabbing some water before the next. So it does give a little break in the show. But it still fits. It's still a good instrumental uh, interlude. Like, I I still love it. I don't think it fits. I think it fits because, like, It's just on the album. (laughs) If I was tracking this today, I would be like, this is kind of weird here, but obviously this is an iconic album and it works. 
and it's pleasant to listen to. So, and then it, it takes you straight into It's Dangerous Business Walking Out Your Front Door, another very popular, iconic track from this album. Goes straight into Getting Heavier Again from that instrumental. There's a lot about this song that I love, and I, I would call this honestly like the main single that they pushed for the album. Ooh, you can remember the singles. Impressive. I can, I can. <laughs> and um, so this was actually a concert that I had an opportunity to go to, but my mom said no. But I remember this song because my friend who did get to go, he talked about, this is like one of those times where I really feel like I missed out on something. I've always loved that part where Drowning in My Sleep, that picks up, that sample, you know? Mm-hmm. And I love that line. I do too. And when they played it live, they're like, all right, who's ready to sing with our chorus? And of course, I'm only going off what my friend told me, but like, I feel like that might be the first time I felt FOMO, like, to such a high degree. <laughs> that part of the song still hits me hard, like, right in the feels almost, you know? Like, not just nostalgic, not just taking me back, but like, there's so much that I'm revisiting where I, I associate strong feelings. I think Drowning in My Sleep, because it is going from this like faster paced song and, and then it gets slower and you've got, you know, multiple people singing on it and then it just goes right back into that harder place. Again, just another really well-constructed song. Also looking back at stuff like this, I can see where how a lot of my music taste got built, especially with this kind of music, because there's usually two writing styles that really appeal to me. And the first is where it's like, it makes sense, but it doesn't really make sense. And it feels like it's kind of written in metaphors. And then the other is like pretty straightforward, blunt writing. And then this feels like a mix of the two. Like technically, it it seems like some of it's metaphor, but like the chorus, my knuckles have turned to white, there's no turning back tonight, kiss me one last time. Like, That's not really a metaphor. It is like, I guess, straightforward, but it almost feels like a metaphor because I don't, it doesn't give me enough to actually know what they're talking about. And then I guess that also leaves room for you to assign so much of your own meaning to all of these songs because it's not really handed to you what what exactly is going on. And that's honestly probably part of the longevity and relatability of this album in general. I love that you mentioned that because that's always been, I can't say always, but looking back, it's from this point forward where I really started latching on to music because there wasn't one meaning to it. Like, you know, a lot of music that I heard before this was very cut and dry, exactly what it means. Like, I mean, I was raised on my dad repeating Danger Zone by Kenny Loggins. Like, I know exactly what that shit's about. But like, actually listening to music and realizing that I could kind of associate my own meaning to it. But at the same time, it was like enough to push me in in a certain direction. Does that make sense? Like, it's ambiguous, but at the same time, it's concrete enough to feel like you're feeling the same way that they were when they wrote it. I don't think I've ever thought about it in terms of really feeling the way that they felt when they wrote it, because I just, I see it as more like, again, like these lines are not metaphors in themselves or like, or they don't seem to be and putting them together. Often they don't like, obviously I'm drowning my sleep. Like, yes, that's a straightforward metaphor. And I love that. But just like with the chorus, I don't know, it's, it's like straightforward, but you can't really put it together. Like, If you want to find meaning in the song, it's just, you kind of have to do it yourself. Like, I have no idea what they were feeling when they wrote this. I think they've interviewed on it. Like, there's, you know, lyric genius notes and whatever, and you can go find it. But I don't really even have a desire to because it's, I don't know, it's its its own thing. And I feel like no two people 
would even find the same exact meaning. Because also with, with this music, like, so much of how it ends up playing out, at least for me, and how it makes me feel, isn't even necessarily the lyrical content. It's It really is the way that the entire song is constructed. And the changes in energy that are so powerful, because it does... It's not exactly like a... It's a mood shift in the song, so it doesn't, it doesn't exactly make, like, me myself have a mood shift, but the mood shifts in the song so much so it's like it's also easy to shift your feelings around then i guess you know i'm i guess i'm looking at things differently now that we talk about this but you're right i mean the way that i feel the association that i have with these lyrics and how i feel that they felt when they were writing these songs i have that i was so impressionable at this time and like i don't know i still <laughs> i feel almost close to these these uh musicians because so much of what I was feeling, I thought this music projected that that same feeling, you know? Like you made an assumption that like what you were feeling is what they were going for, and then that made you feel close to them, but in reality, like what you felt about it probably has nothing to do with what they wrote about. Yeah, absolutely, because like there's certain lyrics on here that I still kind of feel like they're about me in some way, but I know that that's silly to think. I don't know, it, it's just funny, like I've always had this strong connection and it, it's it's weird i'm almost reliving this i'm almost like revisiting like a long lost family member like diving into these songs deeper i know that sounds silly no i mean you're entitled to your feelings i think what you said just connecting it to like what we've talked about in between the core i think it is really easy for people to feel like they know these band members because they do put such strong association on these things and then i guess I've never connected it that way, and also this might be a gendered thing, right? Like, a lot of this music is written, like, by guys about girls, and a lot of it isn't very nice to women, but, like, that might actually stop me from making that kind of connection, I guess, like, feeling like they probably felt the same way, but maybe that is part of it with, like, male experience, sort of projecting that you, like, feel the same. You know, I, I never really thought about it that way either. No, I, I think that's one of the, the things I appreciate most about our conversations about music, because I can start to think about things on a different level. You show a different side of things just by us talking about it, you know what I mean? Well, happy to, to show different sides of things. <laughs> So I think the the back part of this album actually is my favorite. And so So starting with a downside go. Yeah. So, you know, it's funny to like revisit this because that actually used to be my favorite song. And there's one spot in particular, uh, you know, towards the end where where they're saying whatever I say goes like (laughs) uh, this is going to sound silly. And I know that this is no, this cannot be what it's about, but I actually heard this song for the first time when I was grounded. Okay. I, Oh my God. I know. I know. (laughs) Like, so that, whatever I say goes part, like hit me even harder. Like, fuck you, mom and dad. (laughs) Someday I'll make the rules. Like, you know what I mean? It was just like, yeah, I know. I know. I know. (laughs) Like looking back, I feel even sillier about these things, but like, I don't know. I, I really am like, (laughs) I'm like totally analyzing myself right now. And we really do need to do this more often. Like this is almost therapeutic. I can't say I had the same adolescent feelings <laughs> with whatever I say goes, but I still do think it's a little funny that you brought up earlier the repetition and then it repeats whatever I say goes like four times and then you're not here with me like eight times. So I think you really picked up on something there. I think so. It's interesting us talking about this because you have a lot of 
personal, you know, feelings attached to these songs in this album. And I think I'm realizing that basically all of the Under Oath music in this uh, style. So there's some songs that are a little different for me, but like most of it, I feel like it all makes me feel the same way based on structure. And maybe that's why I can't ever remember the names to the songs because it's, I love it because I love the style of it, but it's almost hard for me to attach specific meanings with it. Well, I think the repetition too, it's not only what makes it so memorable, but just how powerful that is to repeat things at the ending. Like it, that energy never, never leaves. Like it almost explodes and then like implodes on itself. And then you're like, all right, what's next? Like I'm ready for the next song. So track eight, I don't feel very receptive today. This was actually a song that, I guess as this album aged, there was certain songs that I listened to. Like, they would be uh, repeatedly put on playlists, and like, it's not that I forgot about the rest of the album, I just like, didn't appreciate it as much, I guess. (laughs) But, fuck, this song is actually my favorite song now. Like, I... I don't know why I didn't realize that at the time, but this song is so strong. I really like the part of this song that's like, I guess the middle and then it's before the like last tone shift, but it gets uh, the guitar part and it's like very like screechy and chaotic and like all over the place. And then it's right before it just tone shifts to like very calm going into the next track. But I think that's my favorite part of this because of this song because it's just so fucking high energy. You know, I I think that when you're doing an album review, it's always everything that makes the album that you want to look at. So, you know, tracking is a big part of it, and if we're looking at this track as an example, we can see that it's completely chaotic, it's completely high energy, but then the uh, following track, like right after this, it's probably the most poppy intro that we, we hear on this album. Yeah, I can agree with that. I do think the decision here was really interesting, and I definitely like it, where they are going from this hard song to the, I guess, the outro. It's almost like the last like maybe third of the song is very calm and that's a total tone shift. And then they use that to basically set up for the next high energy tone shift. But instead of going back into those very like hardcore intros, which is what we've seen on most of the album, it is a much poppier sounding intro going into it before going back into some of those harder themes. So it really is like, I guess I've listened to all these songs separately and far less to it as an album as a whole, but it is like they're just cycling through the energy. Like, you know when you're getting into this album that it is going to be going from, like, high energy to low energy to mid energy and back around. And you never know what order it's going to be through or whatever, but I think it's part of what's so appealing and what keeps the attention on this album. And that's definitely not something that I think a lot of bands still do. Maybe we'll see it cycle back around, but this was such a popular style to make music in, especially when I was getting into this by 2009, you know? And I would say it lasted until probably maybe even like 2013, 2014, but in the last few years, it's really, I guess, dropped off. Like, I I can't think of, besides Dance Gavin Dance, I can't think of anything I've heard in the last maybe five years that reminds me of this, as far as the style of writing goes. You know, it's it's hard to like say when exactly that style fell off. I would say it kind of continued into up until 2015, I guess, like Aftershocks, like Ripple Effect, maybe. Going back to the song we were talking about, I'm Content With Losing. So it goes from almost a poppier feeling intro, and then eventually it does go back. It does energy shift again, 
into core and then back into emo almost just like most of the songs on the album and then it leads into the very last song which is in my opinion a total tone shift from <laughs> the rest of the album completely so the the final track the <laughs> the most major uh tonal shift comes to a close with some will seek forgiveness others escape for me this was this was the song that I showed my mom first to be like, hey, <laughs> they, see, they're Christian. They said the word Jesus in this song. <laughs> like, I think it's funny to mention that because like, even though they were a Christian band, even though I could buy this in a uh, Christian music bookstore, like I think it was called like Wellspring or something. Yeah. So there was a Christian bookstore that my mom would take me to. And if I could find a metal album there, chances are she would get it for me. But her listening to this, she thought it sounded like devil lyrics, or I'm sorry, devil vocals, because of the screaming. So, like, on the drive home, I was like, Mom, listen to this song. You'll, you'll like it. That's hilarious. A lot of this album, like, looking at the lyrics, you wouldn't be like, ah, yes, this good Christian music. Maybe that was something they did consciously, since the rest of the lyrics you can't quite tell. And so they were like, all right, let's put a track on here that's like overtly jesusy you know like, you can't listen to this and say huh i wonder what this song's about you know what i mean like this one is yeah it really breaks like tone both energy wise both in design but then also just in like the way that they wrote the rest of the album this the song kind of breaks tone with all of it you know it's it's funny like so i mentioned that this was like the first track that i showed my mom but <laughs> I won't say hated it, but it was like always my least favorite track. Like I, I didn't really like the fact that they were so like, I can't say too religious, but it almost seemed like too on the nail. Looking back though, like re-listening to it, I actually really like this song. Like it's, it's a perfect out outro in my, my opinion. Honestly, this is my week song. This is the one that like, I'm okay with just ending the album with the last one because the song doesn't really appeal to me at this point in my life. It's funny though, because had I found this song when I was 14, I would have been so about it because it was like specifically Jesus-y. So I think I would have like really clung to it and probably assigned some sort of meaning, but I didn't hear this song until I was an adult already. So it doesn't appeal to me now. It doesn't have the things that I like about the rest of the album. So it's just not, it's not for me anymore. I guess looking at, you know, what you're saying, like it definitely is um, kind of jarring if we compare this track with every other track thus far but i just it's interesting to me that i'm i'm more open to it like maybe not as harsh as i was before like but no i agree with you it's definitely not it's not the same energy as the rest of the album yeah which is probably why they put it on last you know it is like a lower energy song so you know, it wraps up well. Like, I can see what they were doing with it. And I'm sure that this song actually probably does still provide a lot of meaning for people that can relate more to the lyrics. And, you know, this, what we were talking about earlier, right? Like, with a lot of their songs, you do kind of have to, you know, assign your own meaning to it and figure out what it makes you feel. But this is not really that kind of song. Like, it is a lot more straightforward. It breaks from the writing style, like I was saying earlier. And so, you know, if, if the message in the song is something that applies to the listener, then I'm sure it would actually provide a lot of meaning and really work well for them. But, you know, that is the flip side of it, I guess, being such a shift and so straightforward as if 
you know, the message doesn't apply to you, then it's less likely to, to click. Thinking about it that way, like I mentioned earlier that that's what I liked about this writing style. This album was very ambiguous as a whole. Like, I mean, not completely ambiguous. It's not like Mars Volta or anything like that. But this song was like that only song on the album where it's like, yep, I'm going to tell you how to feel. And if you don't feel that, the song's not for you. <laughs> but yeah, so that's the that's the album. Definitely kind of a blast to go back through. Do you have some strongest tracks? versus some weakest tracks um yeah so well actually after like revisiting the album as a whole track eight i don't feel very receptive today is definitely my new favorite followed by down set go and then it's dangerous business walking out your front door i still really don't like i'm content with losing all that much other than that the impact of reason so those two would be my least favorite tracks I think A Boy Brushed in Red is always going to stick out to me just because I do have such a long history with that song at this point. And I don't know if it doesn't actually perfectly fit into the album or if it just feels different to me because I've been listening to it for so long. But honestly, I don't have a lot of differentiating feelings about most of the, the songs. So it's kind of like anything that's not a weak track or that I wouldn't take off specifically is the strongest track. Like, I feel like every song's really well put together, holds up the energy well. It just does everything that I want an Under Oath song to do to me. They could put on literally any of these songs live and they would be so easy to jam to. I miss shows. Um, <laughs> the two songs that, like... If I was going to put, you know, this album on a playlist or I often will save albums, but not, you know, but if there's a song that I want to skip, then I just don't save it. So those two songs for me are Blue Note Instrumental. I like what it is for what it is, but it isn't instrumental <laughs> um, to the album for me. And then also Some Will Seek Forgiveness, I would definitely skip because it doesn't, again, it just doesn't give me what I'm looking for at the rest of it. You know, with this being our first, like, look back at a... Uh at a classic album, I think it would be interesting to have a then versus now type rating system. So not necessarily like when it was released, but when we found it, when we discovered it versus how we feel now looking back at it. Yeah, I'm down for that. Do you, you want to start or do you want me to start? How about you give it a go first? All right. So, okay. So I first found Under Oath when I was 14. The main song I listened to off this album was Boy Brushed in Red, and I think I felt 10 out of 10 about that song specifically. I feel like that song is a little more on the emo side and has, I feel like maybe more of a half and half on cleans and screaming versus some of the other songs kind of are back and forth and a little more, probably would have felt chaotic to me at that time. So I think if I had like given this album a full listen, I think I also would have really loved the last track, so I probably would have gotten some extra bonus points. I think without the last track, me at 14 probably would have given this somewhere between a 5 and a 6. I think it would have been even more, like, instrumental to me into, like, getting into stuff, but a lot of it probably would have felt a little too heavy for me to fully appreciate just when first dipping my toes into this kind of music. 24-year-old me, 10 years later, coming back to this album, I give it a 9 out of 10 because I do just think this is such a well-done album. <laughs> Again, it really, I don't know, it just gives me everything I, I would want out of it. 
It's so well constructed. It's creative. I recognize how influential it was at the time. There's a couple weak spots for me, so it's not quite perfect for me personally. But overall, like, I don't know. It's an album to definitely be commended. I'll have to think about if I, uh, maybe I'll pay the 15 bucks to watch the live stream. Maybe we can (laughs) talk on the phone while it happens. Yeah. I'd be down. Well, no, that that's interesting. So mine's kind of like, well, not completely flip-flopped, so it's not like the same ratings, but it actually started out higher than what it ended up as. So, yeah, so I remember buying this CD. I remember combing through the lyrics, and I, I remember just how much it meant to me. Like, so this would honestly be like 10 out of 10 back then. Like, this, this was the bee's knees to me. And, uh, you know... Just revisiting it, I realized that there were some shortcomings here and there. I feel like there's a couple tracks, as we mentioned, that I don't vibe with all that much. So, and I guess when when we look at it as well, I don't I don't feel connected with everything that I used to, especially the final track because I I don't believe the same things that I did before. But it's still a strong album. I would say it used to be a ten, now it's a nine, just because of the tracks that I don't vibe with and certain meanings that have lost their meaning like yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah. i appreciate we both ended up at nine (laughs) so it's kind of funny because we both technically found it at the same age just different years (laughs) because we're not the same age and then we had totally different i guess feelings about it at that point and then now in the present day, we both feel that it's like a 9 out of 10. So that's kind of funny. We're just like twinning it up musically here. <laughs> yeah. All right. So as always, to end off our show, going to do some weekly band shout outs and just something good from the week. So who is your band shout out this week? So I've been going back and forth between a couple different bands, actually. You know, it's funny, like, with this quarantine, like, I'm realizing how large a catalog I enjoy. Like, there's a wide spectrum of things that I enjoy. And I'm actually going to take it back quite a bit here. So I've been listening to Leonard Skinner lately. And and so I'm going to shout out Leonard Skinner. So if you have never heard of Leonard Skinner, or if you only know the song Freebird, I would actually suggest that you give a listen to Simple Man. And, I mean, I've honestly just been listening to their greatest hits on Shuffle, but that song will always be my favorite of theirs. I'll have to check it out. And then, uh, what were you vibing with this week? What are you shouting out? So the last couple of days, I've really been revisiting Balance and Composure. I know it's a band we've both bonded over before. Kind of more in, I guess, the emo realm of things for most of their catalog. Yeah, I just love this band. It's been about a year since their final show, Rest in Peace. So just a just a great band. I would say the album that got me into them is The Things We Think We're Missing. So every song on that album I love. And then my favorite two songs by them in general would be Back of Your Head, which is the first song that ever got me into them, and the song Burdens, which is off of a split with, I think, Tiger's Jaw, actually. Bringing it back to Tiger's Jaw. But yeah, what's something good that's happened with you or that you've been watching that you can shout out? Well, this week I've been um, I've been doing a lot of catching up on uh, American Horror Story. So this has always been something that I've been interested in. I, I've always loved um, each season of the anthology that I've seen, but there's been a lot of things that I have not seen. So I've legit, in the last three weeks, I've watched four seasons. Oh my gosh, which four seasons? 
So I watched Asylum. I watched the newest one, well, the newest one that's on Hulu, which is from the 80s. Uh, and then uh, I watched Coven. And then I watched uh, Roanoke. So right now I'm on... I did see Murder House when that first came out, but I am I'm I'm, I'm rewatching that. That's what I'm on right now. So I'm on season five in the last like last few weeks here. What about you? This week, I guess I want to give a shout out. Like the thing that highlighted my week because this week has just been so. I feel like every week for the last like three months, somehow, despite me being stuck in my house, has been so busy and stressful. So kind of my like bright spot this week is the guys from American Slang actually sent like a little care package just as like a thank you for interviewing and editing and putting it up and everything and sent me a couple t-shirts including one that like I wanted but they don't sell anymore and so I guess they found one for me. They sent me the Death Drive CD and I did not get a love note from Tyler as he advertised for people that buy their merch but I did get like a really sweet note from Adam just like wishing me luck with everything and being encouraging so... Shout out to Adam and Tyler and American Slang again just for being awesome because definitely like made my week. That is nice. That was a nice touch. They're a great group of guys. Like I, I can't wait to hear more from them. If you made it this far and listened to this whole thing, thank you so much for sticking with us. Our social media is to the core pod on Instagram and Twitter. And then we have a Facebook page that is to the core podcast. So it would be cool if you went and gave it a like. If you want to reach us for any reason at all, I don't think we've said this, but especially with all of the like really hard cases and stuff that we've covered with sexual assault and other bullshit in the scene, if that brought up something for you or you want to talk about it, I think it's safe to say like we're both happy to listen if you want to shoot us an email and talk piggybacking off that like absolutely anybody if if you want to reach out to us if you want to schedule some type of interview like if you have something to talk about we're here to listen so yeah until next time stay safe stay healthy support local bands if you can wash your fucking damn hands okay (laughs) yeah please wash your hands we're still in a pandemic (laughs) (laughs) but bye bye